Amen. If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 1 as we began a new series last week on the book of Acts of the Apostles, and we carry on in chapter 1 this morning, beginning in verse 6, looking at the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, and perhaps you've noted in our worship service thus far and the songs that we have just sang of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is right and fitting as we see our passage this morning, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. Some of the most popular movies that have ever been made are the rags to riches, worst to first, out of the ashes type movies. Why is that? Well, I think it's because the storyline draws us in. It captures our heart and minds and emotions. They have those elements of restoration and redemption. And in so doing, they echo what God is doing upon the earth, taking that which is ruined by the fall and is restoring to his original purpose and even beyond, including you and me. And so just as beauty and truth reflects God's beauty, And his truth, so too I believe the best stories reflect God's greatest story, his story of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemption of the world. Why do I say all of this? Well, as we have seen in the last passage and now today that's up to this point, 40 days before, Jesus was dead and his disciples were scattered. Everything looked to be in complete chaos, and the movement, if you could even call it such, was done. Any momentum had ceased. But with the resurrection of Jesus, all of that changed and changed almost instantaneously. Literally, out of the pit of despair rises this new hope and this new life. And so, for this 40 days, The gang, the 12 disciples minus one, are reassembled, and their mission is about to begin, Uh, a mission that is going to cost them their life and will be their life work. But before they go, before they start this mission, they need the ultimate kickstarter. Jesus must leave, and he must ascend into heaven, and in so doing, he scatters his disciples to the very ends of the earth. But he does not 
do so by sending them out alone or on their own. Rather, he sends the promised Holy Spirit and adds to them many more brothers and sisters that would join them in the cause and become fellow witnesses of Christ. And so what we see is that there is an unbroken chain that leads from Christ to the disciples and then apostles and then to the early church and then to all disciples throughout the ages and throughout the centuries right here to you and me. And so as we saw last week, Luke is writing a history, but it is not a history of people long, long ago in a faraway place or even a faraway galaxy. No, it is our history, our people, our fathers, and our brothers, and our sisters, and ultimately our Lord. And as we will see, the mission of King Jesus, and he calls the apostles too, is the same mission that we are called to as well. And so we want to look at this point, uh, this passage in four points, the ascension of the king, the kingdom of the king, the witness of the king, and then finally the return of the king. First, the ascension of the king. I want to begin with the actual ascension of Christ this morning. You see it in verse 9 as he said these things. They were looking on and he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. The ascension is a part, a fundamental part of the gospel story. Just as Jesus had to come and just as he had to die and so too had to be raised from the dead, so too he had to ascend into heaven. That is not a part of the story that we can leave off. And yet I believe it is a part that is easily forgotten. And it's forgotten because we really do not understand the meaning and the significance of it. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, told his disciples many times that he must go away and that he must return to the Father and that there would be a time that he would be glorified. And he would even insist that it is good for you that I go away, all of which was a reference to his ascension. And so his disciples, and even us, should not be surprised by what takes place here in Acts chapter 1. But we must ask the question, what does it mean? Well, Christ's ascension is a part of his exaltation, a part of his triumph over sin and of death and the kingdom of Satan. You remember, of course, that Jesus' life from the moment of his incarnation to his death and his burial was one of humiliation. That is what we confess just as we confessed this morning in the Apostles' Creed, did we not? All of that points to his humiliation, that he came as a servant. In fact, Paul says that in that very familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2, taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You hear what Paul was saying. He was saying that he was willing to undergo such 
humiliation. And as the scripture says, those that humble themselves will be exalted. And God the Father, as a result, exalts the the servants, exalts his son. He does so by raising him from the dead after three days. And so his resurrection that we celebrate so gloriously and so joyfully on Easter morning is a part of that glorification. It's a part of that exaltation. But just as glorious and just as exalting is his ascension. That is also a part of his exaltation. It's a part of his glorification. How glorified was Christ in his ascension? Well, we read of it here that he was lifted up into the clouds. Now, that cloud should give a a reminder. It should ring an alarm in your your mind and in your heart. Do you remember that that cloud was very familiar in the Old Testament? That cloud represented the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. It was the same cloud that led the people as they wandered out of Egypt for 40 years and led them by day. It was the cloud by day and the fire by night. It was that same cloud that descended upon the temple when Solomon built that temple in Jerusalem. It's the same cloud that surrounded Jesus and Moses and Elijah at the transfiguration. So this isn't just any cloud that Jesus ascended into. No, this is the glory cloud. It is representational of the presence of God. And as such, Jesus ascended into the heavens, into the very heaven, the heaven of heavens. And there was seated at the right hand of God the Father. And there he is. And there you'll be until he returns to rule and reign until he comes to judge the earth once again. In other words, he is no longer humiliated. He is no longer humbled. But he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his ascension demonstrates that he is king. But even more than that, we need to understand that spiritually, His ascension into heaven shows how complete our salvation truly is. The author of Hebrews says this, Jesus entered into heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. You hear what the author is saying, Jesus entered into heaven. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? Didn't several before him enter into heaven? They did, but not in the same way Jesus did. See, Jesus entered into heaven, not just in his soul, not just in his spirit, but he entered into heaven bodily. That means that he is and ever has been the only person that ascended before the Father in the flesh. In other words, when he returned to heaven, this was more than just a homecoming. Yes, it was that, but because he was returning, he was returning, and I need to be careful here because we start to get into the mystery of the incarnation itself. He entered into heaven in a form like he had not left, meaning he had added humanity. He had added our humanity to himself. 
He left heaven, humanly speaking, as God. He returns back to heaven as the God-man. And so you need to understand that our flesh, our very bones, just like us, is in heaven right now. And his entrance into heaven demonstrates that he fully fulfilled every obligation of the covenant. You remember Adam, the first man, broke that covenant. And what was the result of it? He had to leave Eden. He had to leave the presence of God. But Christ, the second Adam, comes and the covenant is fulfilled. And what does he get to do? He gets to enter into heaven. He gets to enter into the very presence of God. It demonstrates that every stipulation, every T has been crossed, every dot of I has been dotted. He suffered the penalty of the broken stipulations and fulfilled all the righteous requirements that was upon mankind. Christ was accepted. But what does that mean for us? Well, just as Christ was accepted into the heavenly realms, so shall we. So shall we. The ascension is the, one of the greatest proofs and the greatest act of our assurance of salvation. So often people struggle with assurance. Perhaps you do this morning. How can I know that I will be saved? How can I know that if I die tonight, I will go to be with the Lord? How do I know that God will accept me into his presence? I had a recent conversation not long ago with an individual. It was a deathbed visit and death was imminent, and death has now taken this brother. But before he left, we got to speak about salvation and about heaven. And I got to ask him that question, are, are you sure? And he said, I, I think so. Well, I said, I, I want you to know so. He said, well, how can we know? And I said, well, where is Jesus right now? And rightly, he said, he is in heaven. I said, if he is there, and you believe in him, and you believe that he represents you there, then you shall be also where he is. If Christ is accepted, and he is fully accepted, then so too shall we. See, it's not based on us. If it was based on us, then we would have no assurance whatsoever. And this is why other religions can have no assurance because they can never know if they have done enough. But our assurance is firm because it's not based on our doing. Because I said we could never do enough, but Christ has already done everything that needs to be done. All of it is accomplished. All of it is finished. He has entered into heaven, the author of Hebrews says, for us. Isn't that a beautiful word and a beautiful picture. He didn't enter into heaven for himself. He entered into heaven for us. Christ's ascension is that proof, is that assurance that he is the faithful high priest that we need. And so he is not only our king, but he is our priest. Our salvation is perfectly complete. We need not add to it. And there's nothing that can take it away 
from us, just as Christ is seated there, and nothing shall unseat him. So too, if you believe in Christ today, you can have that assurance of your salvation, that he represents you in the heavenly places, that he entered into heaven for us. He entered into the presence of God for us. Hallelujah. Well, second, we see the kingdom of the king. We saw last week that for 40 days before his ascension, they were speaking about the kingdom of God. You see that in verse 3. And so in verse 6, the disciples asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see the problem with their question. Jesus is speaking to them of kingdom, 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 and the disciples are hearing Israel, Israel, Israel. John Calvin says of this question, there is as many problems as there are words in this question, which is perhaps a little bit harsh from old JC. Uh, he, he here is, is thinking in a, in a way probably with the full aspect of, of the revelation of, of God, but as the disciples were thinking of the kingdom, the kingdom in their minds always equated to Israel. Because up to this point, that was the extent of the kingdom. So they were thinking, if, if Jesus is now the king, they're rightly understanding that, then he's going to restore what we had in the days of David and Solomon, and all would be well. And Jesus simply says to them, boys, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking large enough. What I am doing is much more grand and glorious than that. David and Solomon and Moses and Abraham, yes, were, were all great in their own way. So too was Israel, but they were types. They were shadows pointing to a greater and more grand reality. Well, it'd almost be like if an architect made some drawings or, or a 3D model, and the person that he was making it or she was making it for said, oh, this is good. In fact, this is so good, I'm, I'm just going to keep the drawings. I don't need the building to, to be built anymore. I don't need the house to be constructed. No, nobody would ever do that, would they? Why? Because the, the drawings, the, the model is, is not the reality. It's the vision. It's the picture of what it's going to be. So too here, Israel was the, was the model. It was not the fullness. There was something greater and bigger. And the disciples needed to understand that. And at this moment, they did not. And you might read that and think, oh boy. Oh no. If they don't understand it now, with just moments of Jesus departing, will these dudes ever get it? I think this is problematic, but there's no panic in Jesus. Why? Because he was not leaving them in charge. He was and still is in charge. Praise God. Wouldn't want to leave it in the disciples' hands. Wouldn't want to leave it in our hands either. But more than that, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. That's why he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem. 
And in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's like the credit card commercial. Don't leave home without it. So Jesus is saying, don't leave. Don't go do ministry on your own without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is not worried. Why? Because he knows that the, the Spirit, the, the work of the Spirit will expand their vision far beyond Israel. In fact, he says that, doesn't he? You will be my witnesses, not only here, not only in Judea, but Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It might be easy for us to to criticize the disciples here. But I think too often we have similar tunnel vision when it comes to the kingdom. Too often we can equate kingdom to ministry usually our particular ministry in the church. And sometimes ministries can, can set up almost little fiefdoms within the church, thinking we need to protect this because this is ours, and we become little kings and, and queens of this ministry, and we, we try to poach people and poach resources so that we can build our ministry. And what starts with good intentions sometimes can go astray, and we can begin to miss the bigger vision and the the bigger mission of Christ's glory and the the good of the church. We need to remember as a a church that we are all about the Lord's work. We only have one vision. We all play on the same team with the, the same purpose. And what goes for individual ministries can can be true, true of the church as well. We're not here to to build the church, ultimately. No, we're here to extend the kingdom. So we're not trying here to to make Smyrna Presbyterian great or known. Likewise, we're we're not here to try to make Pastor Smith or, or Pastor Myers known. Although, who wouldn't want to know Pastor Myers? But that's not the point, is it? We're here to make Jesus Christ great and him known because he is the only one that truly is. And so if we as a church are self-deprecating, that is intentional. We're not to take ourselves seriously. If you ever doubt that, just, just come to the office. You'll see that we don't take ourselves too seriously. But we take Jesus and the worship of God very seriously. Yes, we, we want to do everything with excellence. Don't get me wrong, but we don't want to show ourselves excellent. No, we want to show him excellent. That's kingdom building and the kingdom vision that we are to have. And that ultimately then leads into the third point, the witness. We are witnesses of the king. Jesus tells the disciples that you are my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And we need to look at that word, witnesses of, of what? Well, witnesses of Christ, witnesses of his life, of his teaching and of his actions, witness of his death, of his resurrection and his ascension. Why? Because our faith is based on historical reality. 
upon a real Christ who really did these things. And so Jesus is saying to specifically his disciples here that will be his apostles, you will be my witnesses. You will attest of the things that you have seen, the things that you have seen in me. And in that way, they would have a a special witness that none, none others would have. That's why, as we'll see next week, when they go to replace Judas, one of the qualifications is that this person was with Jesus from the very beginning. And so, like I said, there is a, a special witness that is given to the apostles that is not given to, to any else because they are eyewitnesses, but it is through their credible testimony and their credible witness, not just of two or three, which establishes every fact, but here, 12, and the reality is hundreds of more. Their witness would be preserved by Scripture. And so what do we have? Well, we have the Gospels. That is a, a, an extension of their witness. And we have this wonderful book, the book of Acts, that is also a part of their witness. And all of these epistles that they write. And so through their witness, we too can be witnesses through the Word and through the Spirit of God who is the ultimate witness. That's important to remember. Because oftentimes when we talk about being a witness, we think about representing Christ and people seeing a change in us. And that is true and that ought to be true, but when Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses, it's not others witnessing us. It's us that is witnessing about Christ, about his life, and about his teaching. You you understand what I'm saying. It needs to be both and, of course. But several years ago, there was a, a popular book that became popular in the church with this idea of friendship evangelism, that you should become friends with unbelievers and, and kind of wait for them to initiate and, and say, you know what, I see something different about your life. Why is that? And that's when you can say, well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you, but you don't really say anything about Christ until then. But that is not the, the ultimate model that we see in the book of Acts. Not that that is a, a bad model and we need to be friends and we need to, to be friendly But if we're just waiting for others to initiate, I think that goes too far on the the opposite side. Because the apostles were not just hanging out in the bar or hanging out in social gatherings, waiting for people to, to ask them, for others to initiate. No, we see them going forth, proclaiming Christ, being witnesses of Christ wherever they went. And where did that proclamation begin? Well, it began at home. It began at the the very place that they presently were at. In other words, Jerusalem. And then extending out to Judea, and then a little farther to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Interestingly enough, we'll see that that is the outline of the, the book of Acts, of how the gospel extends in Jerusalem, and then through Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But for our purposes, we must say it's easy for us sometimes to to send money and to pray for missionaries 
to go forth as our witnesses to, to far-flung places of the, the earth, and it's, and it's good, and we should do that, but we do not have any professional witnesses in the church. No, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. It's easy to send money. It's easy to send missionaries. But it's much harder to, to walk across the yard and talk to a neighbor, to, to meet at the, the water cooler, if you can still do that in COVID days, uh, and speak to one another about the, the Lord Jesus Christ or, or speak to, to a, an acquaintance or a friend or even a, a family member. But I think this passage would say that it starts at home. Well, I'm so delighted that our missions committee has changed their name to the Missions and Outreach Committee. Or that idea that, no, we are the ones that are to be a part of the, the mission and, and to be a part of the, the outreach, not just others. And perhaps we could even perfect that name a, a little bit more and call it the, the mission and outreach committee. Why? Because we only ultimately have one mission, and that is to be witnesses for Christ, for the building up of his church and extending his kingdom by making disciples. That is what we're called to, each and every one in different ways, no doubt, using our different gifts and our, our different skills. But what a blessing it is for us to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what Christ has done historically as well as experientially in our lives. And it must be both of those things. But fourth, we want to see the, the return of the king. The disciples ask, is now the time? Is now the time that you're going to bring about the, the full restoration? It's a, a question of timing. And you can understand why they might ask this question. They must have been flying high from depths of despair to the mountaintops in just mere days. And they, they must have thought, well, well, nothing is impossible now. But Jesus reminds them it's not for you to know time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And that's not a new teaching, was it? Jesus had already said that. And no one knows the day or the hour, only the Father alone. And in a way, Jesus simply rebukes them here. It's similar to what you may say to your children at times, that you're on a need-to-know basis, and right now you don't need to know. And the same thing here. There are certain things that the Father has not revealed, and that is still true. So do not listen to those that say that they have a special word or a special revelation or some TV preacher that says that he's been reading the headlines in the book of Revelation and some obscure passage of minor prophets and says that the end times are near and even probably gives a, a specific time of when Jesus will return. Because that's not true. Yes, we must be aware of the times and always be ready, but Jesus says that it will come unexpectedly. It'll come as a thief in the night. And so rather be worried about that, be worried about the work that the Lord is calling us to do. That is why Jesus is simply saying, be about the work. Be about the kingdom. 
be about being my disciples, about building our faith and spreading the faith and, and making disciples, followers of Christ. And the angels say something similar, don't they, in verse 9. We see this angelic visitation, these men that come in white robes, and they ask, why do you stand looking into heaven, looking into the heavens? The scene always makes me chuckle just a little bit, because you could imagine them standing there with their their heads lifted up, probably their, their mouths open, and they're still just gazing into heaven. It's, it kind of reminds me of when you go to the fair and a little kid lets go of a, a helium balloon, and what does everybody do? They, they stop, and everybody watches it and just keeps watching it. And then they start pointing, and they go, I, I think I still see it. No, it's right there. It's right there. No, it's gone. I can't see it anymore. And yet that is seemingly what the disciples were were doing here until they are snapped out of it by this angel, these two angels that are saying, why are you looking into heaven? In other words, don't look up. Put your head down and get to work. And the calling is still the same for us today. Yes, The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. But until then, live by faith. Walk by faith. Exercise that faith daily. And what a a pleasure it is to do so. And so if he comes back today or tomorrow or next week or next year or a hundred years or a thousand years, may we be about the work so that the kingdom of God would would be going forth, that the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be established and that we would be witnesses and that there would be witnesses until the very day that he returns. That is what we must be about. And what a glorious day it will be when he does come, a day that will be exciting as well as a day that will be frightening because it will be a day of glory as well as a day of judgment. But look at what the final message of the angels to the disciples is. It says the same way he went up is the same way he will come down. In other words, he went up bodily. He so too shall come down bodily. And we shall see him face to face. We shall be able to gaze into the face of our Savior, of our Lord. And what glory, what joy that will be, how we will be able to proclaim and worship and exalt our God. Would we be able to say like Thomas, my Lord and my God? And some ask, how will we know it is him? We, we will know. There's no doubt about it. The whole world will know. And so how do we prepare for it? Well, we don't need to be preppers. Rather, we need to be kingdom advancers. And this passage should give us the confidence to do so. This ascension is so important for us to understand that he is our our king. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is the perfect high priest. He is the offerer and the offering and he also is the ultimate prophet that sends forth the, the greatest proclamation of the world. 
the good news of the gospel. And who does he give that good news of the gospel to? To his church. Through the the proper proclamation of it, like it is this day. And so if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then on the authority of the great King of kings and Lord of lords, I say to you, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the, the glorious good news of the gospel that all of your sins are taken away. All of your sins are now complete and finished in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have assurance. You can have peace with God because Christ is ascended and is coming again. And so you need not worry if you believe and trust this day of the judgment day because you know your judgment has already been taken by Christ. And so the good news of the gospel goes forth. And what a glory it is for us as the church to proclaim it every Lord's Day, but for you to go forth as those witnesses of that victorious word of the victorious Christ, and we would spread it throughout the world. You see, as Christ is ascended, Christians are sent and ought to be sent. It is the ultimate redemption and restoration story. And it has not ended. It goes on in you and and through you. And it will not be complete until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, what a glorious passage. What a glorious part of the good news of the gospel that we need to hear. That all is complete. All is finished. You, O Lord, sit upon your throne and you shall never be unseated until you rise forth from it to come and judge the living and the dead. And so, Lord, until that day, would we, in the many days as you would give us upon this earth, as many days as this earth would have until you would return, Lord, would we be about your work be about your proclamation? Would we be your witnesses going forth in the, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to give witness, just like the apostles were able to give witness and witnessing forth of the good news of the scriptures and the firm word that has been given to us by the testimony of two and three and even multiple hundreds? And Lord, would you be pleased? Use this church and other churches like it. Spread your kingdom. Spread your glory. Spread your fame and your excellence, both here in Smyrna and in Cobb County and in the state of Georgia and in the United States and to the very ends of the earth until you would return. Lord, you asked when you returned, would you find such faith on earth. Lord, would you find us with such faith? And Lord, would we be faithful in that calling and in that witness? We pray this all in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.